0: Welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Klee, And on today's episode, we have Stu Brower, the founder of WTF Gym Talk and Urban Movement to talk about this idea of how to retire from the micro gym space. I really enjoyed this conversation. If you're a gym owner out there or if you're a business owner of any type of service-based business, we talked today about buying the building and what does that look like and retiring. You know, For so many years, we've been in the fitness space. I, I started NC Fit almost 15 years ago. And when you start, you start with this kind of concept and idea in your head, but you don't really think about 10, 20, 30 years from now. But as time has gone on, I've talked to more owners, more owners are starting to have this conversation. Hey, what does the strategy look like long-term? And today, Stu and I dive completely into that with a bunch of tangible items. I think what he's going to be able to do for the fitness space is incredible. I really appreciated having him on. If you get value out of this conversation, do me a favor screenshot it, leave us a rating, leave us review. Let Stu and I know what you thought of it so we can create more content like this. This is more of a gym owner business focused episode. We also have our effort weekly episodes as well as just our casual Q and A episodes. We're looking to dive deeper, add value and keep getting after it. Hope you guys have a great day. Let's go. All right. Now we're officially recording. So Stu, um, dude, you and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, you did some amazing things with Urban Movement. And the reason why I want to talk to you today is because a lot of gym owners, coaches listen to this podcast and they they look up to what you're doing and they've seen some of the stuff you're doing. And I think one of the things that caught my attention, actually Gabe and MDV and I were having a conversation about this, was your like, Quote retirement. Now you've done a really good job of branding yourself, and and I've been getting your weekly newsletters, which I actually find not only entertaining but really informational. Which I, um, I
1: shamelessly signed you up for. Jason did not subscribe to that. I just I was I'm <laughs> like who am I, who are my colleagues? I'm just going to assume want this,
0: <laughs> dude. I thought it was great, but the reason what I found was really interesting is we sparked this conversation between Game MDV and I about what is the long term strategy, what is the potential exit strategy for traditional. Um, boutique brick and mortar operator and these micro gyms that you call them. And um, I, I thought of it as as two ver- two ways, right? Option A is the way that you went. The other option is cash flow this thing to then um, delegate it out to a manager who's in place Say so you could go off and go build up another business in addition and the business continues on. But I want to talk specifically about what your plan was with Urban Movement and your ability to acquire real estate, have that real estate essentially paid for by the business, and now it created an exit strategy for you. Because I think that a lot of owners, they get into CrossFit or training, and they don't necessarily think five, 10, 15, 30 years down the line. That's the
1: conversation I want to have today, man. I'm fired up to have you with me. Thanks for talking. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me. Uh So like two different experiments were happening there like going from CrossFit South and the urban movement. I think I've talked about this even you and me have talked about this on the multiple podcasts we've done. So I don't want to spend too much time there. That was that was it. So that was a branding experiment, a different fitness methodology experiment. But the commercial real estate, it, wasn't, it didn't take me long. And again, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm not in New York. I'm not in Chicago. This isn't Miami. This is a tier two city. And it, it, you know, the writing's on the wall. And I'm, I was not a very educated person in the realm of commercial real estate back in 2013. But I was like, oh my God, everything. You look at, there's a crane in the sky everywhere and everything's going on. And you think about it like, man, my lease is seven years. Seven years seems like a long time but it's actually really not. Cause I mean, I'd like to be a gym owner for maybe ever at least so, or so I thought back then. Um, so what happens when my seven-year lease comes up? Well, my rent's going to probably be significantly higher And most gyms have like, maybe let's call it a five-year lease with two, three-year renewables. Well, what a lot of gym owners don't realize is at the time of your renewable, you are no longer locked into that previous rental rate. Your landlord can say, yeah, you have the option to renew. Yeah. You have the option, right? But it's but it's at this new fair market value rate that other people are getting. And with so much cash in the economic system that's happened, we've been living in a great economic scenario. Even if you take out COVID, the rents in tier one, two, tier three, tier one cities are just keep climbing. So landlords, because supply and demand is in the landlord's favor, can start demanding higher rents. And again, this all depends on where you live. And obviously, I am mean, you know, whatever. But that's what I knew. I knew I might not, I could bust my butt for seven years here, build this amazing business. And all of a sudden my life changes like that because the landlord decides to increase my rent to a rate that is no longer financially viable. Or I can afford it, but my God, I might, I've created a lifestyle for myself. And I have to completely change that because I have to take less money because my operating expenses are higher. So I committed um, to saving, living like a broke dude putting money away and figuring out what in the hell was I going to do? How was I going to be able to buy commercial real estate? And that seemed like a very unobtainable goal back uh, in 2013 and 14. So you bought your property,
0: the one in Charlotte in 2013, 14, 16 in 16. 16. So, but you kind of created a plan or started setting the tone for it somewhere a couple of years in
1: advance. I assumed my building might be around a million dollars. So that means If you do an SBA 504 loan, you're going to need at least bare minimum to even step to the table $100,000 because they, you only, you put 10% down with an SBA 504, but most people don't calculate probably an extra 20% of that. So $220,000 for closing costs and SBA fees and things like that. And then there's going to be an upfit. You know, it's not like anyone's moving into gym ready spaces, correct? So maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars for upfit. So it was a big chunk. And it was at that point where it's like, oh my God, well, I'm not going to be able to do $500,000 cash. That's just not, I'm not that good. I don't have that money. I don't have a rich uncle and I didn't blow the the rich member in the back of the corner to have him help me out. Right? You know, I, I had no options. I did get a business partner. Um, he's now my daughter's go- uh, godfather, uh, one of my best friends. And he had done a lot of residential. And we were talking one day and he was like, man, I'd really like to get in a commercial. I'm like, I really want to get in the commercial. He's like, yeah, but I don't want to lay out all that cash. I'm like, I don't want to lay out all that cash. Let's go split these. So I'm a majority in there, but he, he, we pretty much went into this thing 50, 50.
0: So there's a lot to unpack here. And I think there's a lot to understand to begin. You did, you did not have, did you have a brick and mortar be, before you decided to own one?
1: Before yeah. Before you decided to it- own the
0: building. Yeah, yeah. I had
1: at two previously. I started leasing in 2010, 2011.
0: Okay. So you had a current brick and mortar. And I think actually this is super relevant to a lot of people, including um, myself, because we just, you know, we've, we've, we've done some residential stuff and we've done some different things, but from a commercial real estate, especially in the Bay area, it's been so crazy, but now we're looking back on it. It's like, man, I wish we had just bought in. I wish we had done it, but there were some things that held us back. I'm going to talk to you about So Let's talk about this. So you made the decision to invest. You talk about SBA loans, small business association loans, and those, I want to know a little bit more. Um, According to what I understand, you can only use it once and it gives you the ability to put down 10% instead of what's typically looked at currently, this is after 08 as like 20, 30%. So is that the reason why you went with SBA?
1: Correct. I actually, so you have two options, guys. You have the traditional funding route, just go to a bank. Again, you're probably going to be down for 20 to 30%. We actually got a way more competitive interest rate from traditional. The SBA gave us a higher interest rate. However, we only had to come out 10%. We knew we we're going to have a pretty large upfit budget. So that was the play there. Also, I personally would like to align in the way an SBA works for everyone listening the bank. So the SBA works with a bank, it works with you. There's three essentially individuals making this happen. The bank puts in 50% of the money. The SBA, through proxy of a CDC, okay, Survive Development um, Company, they go ahead and they put in 40%. Now you come in the backside with 10. So that's where you get your 100. But there was just something I was like, I don't know, I kind of like the idea of the Small Business Association being a part of this thing because they're in an organization, one entirely incentivized to help small businesses. And I will give them all the kudos in the world, everything they did for small businesses during COVID, everything they did for people with SBA loans during COVID. I, I can't speak high enough about at least the experience I've had with the SBA, but I'm I'm beyond glad that we went that route.
0: So let's just, just for like sheer number perspective, um, what was at the time now, now back when you got this deal in 2016, interest rates were different. Yeah. Like right now um, you could get a loan for, you know, under three percent probably, uh, depending on what type of loan you get. What what are SBA rates at the time? What were yeah, the SBA I, rates versus current rates? Let's not. We won't even talk
1: about now because it's just a different. Yeah. Phase. So at the time, I think we were paying just under five. Um, on SBA. Just So it was like four six, four four, four five. We had a more competitive lower rate, like you said, through the traditional bank. But once you put the SBA in it as well, those interest rates are going to change. And there are some other things too. I don't want to make the SBA has a prepayment penalty. So they um, do, they do. So So, it's a waterfall in year one. What
0: what is that, Stu? What's a a prepayment penalty?
1: Prepayment penalty. The SBA is not in the business of giving money to investors, real estate investors, meaning Jason and me cannot formulate, um, you know, Jason and Ginger real estate company and go out and buy a property through the SBA 504 and then not put a business in it. Be like, oh, we're going to rent it out to that brewery we can't do that. We have to own the operating entity within the business up to 51 or at a minimum of 51% of the square footage has to be our operating entity, right? Or one of ours. So that's the thing with SBA. You got to be willing to have an owner operated entity in there, which for the most part, we're not buying like a gym owner here. The strategies I mainly do when I work with gym owners who want to buy, we want to purchase in an area that is soon to gentrify, meaning it is at low market value now, And we believe in 10 years, in a decade, it's going to be at high market value. That gives you a small purchase price. It's not as expensive. And it allows you to operate your business in there. Because you're probably, as a gym owner, you're not done yet. Like, I wasn't done yet in 2016. I I didn't think I'd be done now. But, you know, when the right money comes knocking. Um, But so that's the whole deal. It's like, okay, well, I'll run the business for 10 years. I'll play gym owner. This will be great. I'll grow it. My gym's going to pay me. And then my gym's also going to pay my real estate company. So I'm making money in two different ways. And then in 10 years, that's when the prepayment penalty falls off. Uh, But the the prepayment penalty is a waterfall. So in year one, if you sold the building, 10%. Year two, 9%. Year three, Uh, eight. And then by the time you get to year 10, you're clear.
0: Okay. So just, uh, I think that's a really great, um, I wasn't aware of that. So it's a really great note to make is that, you know, most loans, when you look at them, you're looking for one that has no prepayment penalty ideally. Right. Um, for a variety of reasons, maybe you want to pay it off. Maybe you want to, whatever. But in this case, after 10 years, it goes away. So that's good to know. And it's also good to know that you chose to go with SBA over traditional loan, even though it had a higher interest rate, and you feel like they support you. That's, that's, that's cool to hear. I, I, I wasn't aware of that as well. So
1: I want to back okay, up for real a quick second. though. Can we, can we say I want for any of the listeners who are real smart. Anyone who's listening to this is like, wait a minute. Stu said he bought his building in 2016. It's not 2026. Is he getting hit? Is, how is he allowed to now turn his building into an investment property? He's no longer going to be in the, business, the building. What the fuck is with that? So, that's what we call, my friends, technical default. So, real default is I don't pay my mortgage. That's, you know, the bank comes and seizes the building. Technical default with the SBA essentially means right now, I cannot get another SBA loan until that that thing is paid off. So, essentially, with the deal I'm doing now with my building, um, I'm having the bank buy out the SBA's portion, clean slate, and then I could essentially do another SBA loan down here in the future.
0: Hmm. And so let's talk about the TIs for a minute. You call it, yeah. you called it something else. what did you call it?
1: Uh, TI, oh, tenant improvement, yeah. Up- no, no, up- no, what did you call, of, yeah.
0: you said like a pretty up or something like that, what'd you say? Uh, up-fit? Uh, upfit. Upfit, I've yeah, never yeah. heard of
1: it referred to as that.
0: So you, you, you buy a building, let's just say you, you're a current brick and mortar owner. Your lease is $10,000 a month. You've been doing this now for a couple of years. You're saying, hey man, I could go buy a $1 million building and my mortgage on it is five grand and property taxes on it are another whatever, I will actually be at a better financial position monthly if I buy this building versus paying my current rent. Okay, got it. But as you said, there's a quote unquote upfit or the way we refer to it as tenant improvement. So I'm curious, when you go and you look at a building that's a million dollars, you'll get a loan on it. You said you had to put up 10%. Okay, so that's 100 grand. But what are you doing for upfit or TIs? Are you incorporating those into your loan or are you you paying those off cash?
1: That's the nice thing with the SBA 504. Rolling your construction cost into the loan is possible. We did that. However, it is only going to work, like again, like most, like if everyone's ever sold a house, your appraisal dictates the amount of the loan. So- For example, that building that we're talking about, mine, I bought it for 960. It only appraised for like 789 or something, or 780. That's a shortfall. Guess who's gotta come up with that money? You do. Me and my buddy. So you know how we both went into this? Like, man, I don't really wanna spend all my cash. We ended up both having to spend almost all of our cash anyway. We had a shortfall there, and then my upfit. My upfit was budgeted, Jason, around 150 to $175,000. It ended up being three hundred and seventy five thousand dollars.
0: Yeah, it took. And it normally, took- I should note because you know we're going to talk a lot about the pros of buying a building. There's a lot of pros, and obviously, Stu, we're going to, we're going to dive more into that. But there are some cons. Some of the cons are you're on the hook from a mortgage perspective, right? You can't just walk away. You can't just bankrupt your company and get 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 out of your lease. You're personally on the hook for this building. And typically, when you sign a lease, you get add in. Some layer of tenant improvements that the that the landlord typically throws in on. In your sure. case, that's not the case. In,
1: in in your case, you're not getting that because I bought the building, right? It's, so you're right. not getting TI money when you buy it. But one thing you mentioned there that's really interesting. Yes, you are on the hook. But here's the thing: realistically, for a micro gym to go from whatever go to zero over the course of a week or a month or a year, aside from I COVID, think, we should just aside know. for COVID, right? <laughs> but you still own the building. Yeah. You can still sell it. I mean, like, realize like as long as you've been in there maybe a year, you could probably at least walk away as a wash. Maybe you've been there two to three years. It's got a little bit of appreciation in it. So you pay off the bank because your let's say your gym goes out of business. Again, that's why you'd work with the SBA. I guarantee you, if anyone's listening to this and they have a they own a building with an SBA 504 and the gym is going to go out of business, I guarantee you the SBA would. Work with you to go into technical default and allow you to lease the building out to someone else. The SBA is not in the business of owning buildings. Banks don't even really want to own buildings. They want cash. Like right. these places don't want your foreclosed asset. It's just a headache for them.
0: And so you you made this pivot to purchasing your building. We've talked about the SBA loan, and from a partnership perspective, we've seen. I mean, I, and I know you talked to a lot of gym owners. I have seen many partnerships go wrong. yeah. And so I'm curious when you structured your partnership, because let's just say you're a gym owner and you have a cash flowing business. And so you're, you're, you're generating, I, I love using the number 10,000. Sure. And maybe after some expenses, let's just say you're, or whatever, maybe you're taking home 10,000, whatever it is, but you don't have enough money in the bank to put three, 400 to whatever it is on a new building. So you find a partner did you guys have a formal partnership agreement? Before, like, what, what did that look like? What was that process was, like?
1: I think we, I remember the night that we finished the SOA, Standard Operating Agreement. We, uh, we hired one law firm. We both worked with different lawyers. Um, yep. But it, the nice thing about an opera, uh, a, a real estate holdings company, there's really no emotion gym owner partnerships is, I don't like that programming. And, and you bang that member. And like, it just can get really dramatic, right? There's a lot of opportunity for drama in a gym owner partnership, but in a real estate, it's, we buy this and essentially it was okay. What are we putting in? We're going in 50, 50. What is our equity split? The equity split ended up changing a little bit with me being slightly higher. Um, and then we came up with guardrails. In what events do we sell? Do we entertain a sale? Let's say my partner, his name is Ed. Uh, let's say Ed Goes ahead and, you know, in year, you know, year three, we get offered $4 million. He goes, Stu, we're selling. And I go, whoa, Ed, I'm cruising here with Urban Movement. I'm kicking ass. I'm not selling. So we, you've got to put in guardrails. What happens if partner A wants to get out and at what rate does partner B buy him out. So you have to come up with every scenario, in which you and that person are going to hate each other. I think we, in total is probably seven to nine hours of like back and forth and lawyers and in a, in a conference room and this and that. And then me and him went afterwards. And I think we got completely hammered at a bar and had celebrated because we were just so happy that part was over.
0: Oh yeah. And so that's interesting though. So you had same law firm, typically you, because of conflict of interest, you could have same law firm, different law firms, but different lawyers is really important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oddly enough, uh, my wife and I have done some um, buy-sell agreements in the past. Sure. (laughs) And it sounds weird. And she had to have separate counsel from our counsel, which was really, it was the right thing to do. Um, But I want to ask you this. So if you have a partner, okay, and you own a business right now, and like I said, it's making some money. The reason why the property has additional value is because it has a tenant in it. So your business, Urban Movement, added value to the property because you had signed, let's just say a five-year lease at X amount dollars. Yes. That instantly took the property from a million to a million five because now it's cash flowing property. But this gentleman that you, Ed, he owns now 50% of the building, but he doesn't own any of the business urban movement. Correct. So from a strategic perspective, he's getting more value because he's actually getting a piece. Your business is providing him more value and he doesn't have any ownership in that. And then if you want to pay more rent or less rent based on how you want to play taxes as the owner of the building and the owner of the business,
1: what type of conflicts occurred there? And how'd you guys resolve those? hundred percent. So the SBA requires because of that 10 year prepayment penalty that I signed a 10 year lease. So, and again, this is the hardest part where I think a lot of gym owners, you'd really have to check your level of like, I, I no, no other better word than maturity. You have to wear two hats. I'm stew the gym owner, the tenant, but I'm also Stu the landlord. And guess what? Stu the landlord wants Stu the gym owner to pay a fair market value rate, right? And I, I'm i not going to let Stu the gym owner be like, uh, sales were bad this month. Can I get a break in rent? No. Stu the landlord's be like, fuck that. You're paying what you pay. Because you have to wear two hats. Because again, the other thing I'll put emphasis on, you know, let me answer your question first. So we came up with the rent schedule and we just stuck with it. That was it. So there were months and my strategy and what I recommend every gym owner does, when you make this move, you do realize you have literally just inked your future as a a real estate investor. I don't care if you grow to make 70 gyms. The inking of a commercial building and the loans and the personal guarantees and the risk that you've put on you and your family means you need to make that business the priority because again, if anything were to happen to your gym, like, oh, I don't know, anything, That's the one business that you and your family can forever fall back on. It can be your retirement like it is mine. So I always put the real estate company first. I took the gym's profit margin down to single digits, okay, up from 25% so that I always was able to pay what I owed on that real estate. I stopped taking salaries out of my gym because I wanted to invest my money in the real estate because I knew that was going to be the long-term play.
0: Yeah, but how does that get? How is that fair with your partner where now you're pulling profitability out of your business and he's capturing a lot
1: of 50% upside as well? Think about this, Jay. So, my let's say my insurance, my, uh, my uh, rent is 10K. The gym owner, Stu, pays 10K to my real estate company. How much of that is mine? Five. So, I'm essentially really only paying five, really, ultimately for me. I'm taking 10 grand as a gym, putting it into another company that I own. Ed takes half, I take half. So I'm really at the end of the day only paying five in rent. So there's, I see both sides. I see what you mean. Cause him, he's like, oh shit, I can buy a building by myself, but then I gotta find a tenant. Oh my God, this kid, he's got a gym that's p- profitable and he's smart. I'm gonna make, we're gonna partner with him. And then I've got a tenant in my building for 10 years. Yes, sure. That play is 100% there, but also on my front. I'm a gym owner who wants to buy a building and I don't have probably the 500 K in cash. I would need to do it myself. So you got to go, who are you going to go? Who, I mean, like, who am I going to go find to do 250 with? So sure. It's a give and take there, but at the end of the day, it works out really well, which is also why we gave me more equity in the buildings and so on. So,
0: yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I see where you're, and I think that obviously the partnership agreement is critical. And I think creating those guardrails is really, really valuable especially when you're dealing with like a real estate play and, and your rent in there. I mean, it could get really complicated really fast because you have a business and let's just say the business is thriving and your partner wants to sell. Well, what's going to happen? So let's talk about that. Urban yep. movement starts to grow. Um, you pivoted from a uh, CrossFit affiliate yep. and you, at one point, I want to say it was about a, maybe like a year ago, you rolled out a license model. Yeah.
1: January 21.
0: And what's, what's interesting for me is that you seemed all in on that. So, so much. what's happening now? Why did you decide to pivot from being all in on urban movement and licensing to now saying, hey, I'm out of the brick and mortar
1: business? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm a big zoom out, play the chess game, not checkers. So I'm zooming out. I do this long play with the commercial real estate building. In my head, I'm going to be a gym owner for 10 years. COVID hits in twenty. 20. I've been in the building now since April 1st of 2017. COVID hits. The first thing I do is I'm like, all right, I've got three, I had 3,000 square feet of unused space. I'm like, all right, where can I, where can I make more revenue? Someone might need this. I was trying to open it up for COVID testing workshops or like places and sites, trying to give it like have hospitals rented. I was doing everything I could. So I get a broker and I put up the 3,000 square feet. Nobody wants it. So from March, 2020 to now, all I got every three weeks lease offer, lease offer full for the full building. They don't want to park. They want the whole thing. Lease offer, lease offer. And the rates kept going up. Now I kept saying no, because I'm like, no, this COVID thing's going to end and I'm going to get back in there and keep kicking ass. I've got a license model now. I just told the world I'm doing a license model, right? Like I got to do this. Well, the lease rates got higher and higher. So from March, 2020 to now, when I finally folded. I mean, we're talking a lot of organizations and companies took a swing at wanting to get that. And we kept saying no. And my partner was very gracious about it. He's like, man, that's more rent than what you're paying. I'm like, I know, man, but I, I got, I want, I'm not done being a gym owner yet. And that I, we did that over and over and over a $3.75 million offer cash deal close in 30 days, hit our, my broker's inbox. And we had a meeting 30 day close 3.75. And we said, no. And a lot of that, I'll give credit to my business partner, letting me again, you know, really take control of this. After that happened, I'm not going to lie. I had a lot of not buyer's remorse, like, oh, fuck, I should have done that. I should have done that. Well, lo and behold, the way the world works, be patient and good things happen. The next offer that came was a lease offer at an above value market that we had not seen yet. That was just stupid money. And uh, I, I finally said, okay, I got to let this ego gym owner thing go. But I had to essentially, the, the whole license thing. To answer your question, that January, 2021 is when I announced the license. Super into it. I came on your podcast. You and me have talked about it. We were interviewing. We, we had, I mean, we had people in the role like just like lined up, like we were getting ready to yeah. like officially launch and announce. I was so excited. And then I, I remember you to my told me about that. Yeah. And I've always, and I was always very honest with my team. I said, guys, lease offers are going to come in, are coming in and they're getting more aggressive. We got to slow roll this thing. Cause I can't green light these two. And then I lease out my building and what, how shitty would that be?
0: Yeah. I'm model. out though. I'm out.
1: Like yeah. I can't do that. So we slow rolled it. I'm like, I don't need, like, we don't need the license for money. Like, but this is something I wanted to do to continue on the brand. And so we just slow rolled it and people lost interest. Some people stayed interested. I, you know, we still have maybe a potential multi-unit deal, but I, I just don't know if I even want to do it anymore. I'm kind of liking this idea of not having to do anything. And, um, <laughs> but yeah, man, that was, that was a huge pill to swell. So I had these two identity crises. Like I'm a gym owner. This is what you do, Stu. Yeah. You're that's what I talk about.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's really important. And I, not to cut you off, but I want to, I want to dive deeper in this yeah. is, is in the sense that like you were all in as a gym owner, you were rolling out a license model and I will respect, you know, I, I think it's really important, you know, for us, we put out session plans and programming through the NC fit collective. And it's very important to me that the people that build those programs, the people That they are in the gym coaching. I just got back from coaching at one of our uh, corporate sites because we need to be able to see the product, feel the product, and we need to own and operate gyms to put out a great product for other gym owners. And I I, I respect the fact that you felt conflicted and that you had a slow play license because you didn't know what was going to happen and you didn't feel right about having a license model or you didn't even have a license. You didn't even have a location. I didn't have a laboratory
1: anymore. You're right.
0: That's right. You didn't have a laboratory. And so- anyway, it's a pet peeve of mine. I think that people are going to put out coaching and owner stuff. They should at least be in the trenches, which I agree with you. But anyways, I want to talk about this identity crisis because there's owners out there who, you know, they identify as an owner and maybe that holds them back from making good, effective business decisions for them and their family. And you did what you thought was best for you, your family and your future. So Talk me through that process and, and how does that relate to other gym owners and maybe what they've, what they've experienced based on what you've heard.
1: So there's, you know, there's the, the identity. I'm a gym owner and this is all I've ever known. I'm not good at anything else in the world except this fitness thing. There's also the identity of I'm Sue. I'm the WTF guy. And how will people view me if I don't own a gym? And then there was the identity of just, I mean, the overall just, I mean, I, I have a staff, I have a GM that's been with me damn near a decade not a decade now. I've got an assistant GM like going on five years. I've got members that have been with me for like nine. I'm like, ah, so I got this huge issue. And the first time I ever spoke about it to anyone in public, I'm in a, i am in I get on this monthly call and there's Sean Pastuch and Kelly Starrett and um, Marcus Philly and a bunch of other just really ridiculously smart people. And I, I literally just came out clean. I said, this is, this is what I'm possessed. This is what's coming down the line. I think I think there's going to be an opportunity, someone's going to present me amount of money at some point where I can't say no to it, and I'm going to phase out my gym ownership days, and that's going to be over, and I'm I'm having a really hard time with that. And I got some amazing advice, and essentially the advice boiled down to this. Who you are now is not who you're going to be, just like the client who comes in today isn't going to be that same person in 90 days. And ultimately, if you were to meet yourself in a bar or a coffee shop three years from now and said, hey, man, tell me your story. I'm Stu. I've been in the fitness industry since I was 15. I opened the gym and I've been doing that for the past 35, 45 years. There's nothing wrong with that story. You said, now just now play the other side. Hey, I'm Stu. I got into fitness when I was 15. I opened the gym. I did that for about a decade. Then I got into commercial real estate and consulting. I uh, leased out my building. I built this. I did this other thing and you, whatever, which story do you want? There's no right or wrong answer. And I sat with that and I said, I kind of like the, I think I want the other one. Not to mention COVID obviously puts a fucking a bug in your ear. Not to mention, yeah, it's really nice to only have to worry about the landscaping of the building, not having to worry about sales, retention, HR, staff, or any of that BS and make more money than I ever could pay myself as a gym owner, like even in my prime, um, so yes. Is there a financial side? I'd be full of shit if I told everybody there wasn't a financial side to this, but it was also thinking of, okay, I, I've always, I, you know, I'm i I'm a guy that's, you know, does different things. I, I, you know, I got rid of the rig and I got rid of CrossFit. I'm, I'm moving and shaking often. I'm like those two stories. I think this other one plays more to my strengths and, and that's ultimately what it was. And, um, but I'm telling you, man, you want to talk about some stressful, stressful, months. I mean, I talked to somebody, I think everyone should talk to some sort of a therapist, things like that. I have an executive coach who helps me through stuff. Um, you know, I would develop like ulcers in my mouth. Like, dude, I'm talking like it was ridiculous. I mean, I was going under physical stress. Um, and and, you
0: probably, uh, let me ask you this now. When is the gym officially closed down? November 13th. And has the news that you reported been better worse or as expected from the feedback
1: from your members members great everything is congratulations you're because i've got some members who don't know who i am i mean i haven't been really involved in the business in a while so there's some newer people in the past couple years who are like aren't you the guy that's behind the front desk every now and then and uh but members the og ones i mean we had people who have even maybe canceled the gym a couple years ago they uh they all send congrats. I mean, it was very, very solid response. I also have done a very, great job with colleagues. I've created colleagues in Charlotte at different brands. So I've like been able to set up some opportunities for members to get to other gyms and try them out and, you know, some front end offer kind of scenarios. And, and Hey, here's the gym that I think you'd like, if you're really into this part of our training, and if you're more into this, check out this gym, you need an open gym bottle. Um, and so I, I did as, as right by them as I possibly could. And, uh, but I think I also think we have a lot of young, I, I don't know. I, I like to think there's some kind of inspirational thing to it. There is something, like you said, I, I'm, I'm good at creating clickbait. Retired at 35, gets clicks. Uh, but it's also not a lie. Not that just because I'm still working. Brett Favre still sells Wranglers, but that motherfucker's retired from football. Okay. <laughs> so, um, uh, so, but like I've got some younger guys that I've been I've had some conversations with in girls and that go to my gym. And it's been really cool because they're like, I didn't even really know you were the guy. Like, that's so cool. Could you tell me your story? Because haven't been around for eight years, and so no, it's been a good connection. I'm doing one last podcast with my team because we have a we have a podcast for the gym. I remember that's one of our first podcasts we talked yeah, about. Yeah, 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 and yeah. And we're gonna do a, a real long form blowout kind of one. I'm really excited for that. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of how it's. But the members' reception was very positive.
0: So I mean, I I I definitely obviously I'm super happy for you. I can see the moral, not moral, the. Just the conflict. Like you identified so long as a as a gym owner and to no longer have that brick and mortar, it's tough. And I I mean, you for me, it would be tough. I mean, I got into the fitness space when I was 15 too. And it'd be weird. Um, but I think when the opportunity arises, like what you're talking about, and now it's going to open the doors for a lot of other things. And I think that's exciting. One of those things, I know we were talking a little bit about it, but so you want to start some type of real estate like mentorship program, because the reason why this is important to me is because I really, really care about, uh, micro gyms and specifically CrossFit gym owners. And I care about them a lot because I know that for the most part, most of these people got into this for the right reason. They really did. They want to impact people's lives and they realize over time that owning a CrossFit gym or any type of gym, isn't just working out. It's not just coaching. It's a lot more than that. And it comes a lot of stress. But ultimately, when you've been in the game a long time, you're probably starting to ask yourself, hey, what's my strategy? And I think you are going to be able to provide. I like, I like hitting like the nuts and bolts of like today's strategy. Which I think you've been doing for a long time. Like, hey, let's increase sales. Let's get some revenue in the door. Let's start making this gym profitable, right? I'll allow you to step back and allow other people to run it. But what I haven't been talking about much and maybe you hadn't until recently, I could be wrong on that, is what's the plan for 10 years from now? And I think you lay a good framework with the lease because you're right. Like I have a seven-year lease on, on multiple of our buildings. We're on like, I think we expire like in three years or whatever it is, but you're right. If you're signing a seven-year lease, seven years from now, more than likely that building's is going to have more value. And you're going to be, even though you have options, now you could put in clarification, the contracts with, the. Uh, I think we have where not to exceed certain numbers, if I'm sure. not mistaken. But in either case, you want to now help gym owners with the with the long
1: term. Yeah, is that right? Is that's that's the goal? So yes, um, I always knew that. Like when I, in 2016, when I inked that and I, I officially had purchased and closed on the building, I knew this would be my retirement. Like you know, I always joke around. there's a great scene in Workaholics. Everyone likes that show. Or the talk about 401ks. I was that guy. Like as a young gym owner, I'm like a 401k, what is that? A laser? I don't know what a fucking 401k is. You know, most gym owners don't have any kind of retirement plan. And this building was mine. And what I think for most micro gyms, and this part's gonna hurt. If you're a single unit, one location micro gym. I've done the math, upwards, downwards, backways and in. Very, very, very few people will be able to create a retirement model with just the gym. Micro gyms do not have enough of a buffer, an incubator, and incubator, in payroll and HR bandwidth to where gym owner can retire and sit back. And uh oh, it just takes one GM who gets pregnant and moves. It takes one other assistant GM to quit, and guess what? Gym owner is back into it. So I. There are some, but it takes replication like what you've done. And I've listened to a lot of your talks, Chase, where you've like, hey, listen, we've got all these locations and they all contribute to the pie. And when you do multi-unit economics, that changes things. So, you know, I talk to people about like, if you're going to license or franchise, like that is one way you could create wealth with just your micro gym, but you're going to need to make replicas because one unit isn't going to do it. Now, yeah. if uh, By if the way, I that. With,
0: put a, I want to give a thumbs up. I agree with you. To the fullest extent. I think if you have one one gym, one location, regardless of how, I mean, you can make it pretty profitable, but I think you hit the nail on the head. I just want to highlight this. If you want to step out of the business when you're 50, 60, 70, you need good operators in the business and you're one GM away from that, that in itself is a really great realization. So I just want to highlight that. I, I agree with you.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. And I mean, anyone who understands the magic of compounding interest, like if you take $500 a month and put it into the S&P index fund and sit on it for 45 to 50 years, you'll have almost $3 million by the time you retire at 65. So there are other places, but guess what? That money's really not available to you till you retire at 65. And guess what happens if when you're 52, three three-year coaches up and quit? You're 52 years old and you're back to rolling up bay doors, motherfucker. Like that's not at 4am. And that's, I, for most people, that's probably not their vision. So I knew real estate would be the thing. And now that I've actually done it again, I'm always kind of looking at what are my angles in this space? You give business advice. I give business advice. Plenty of people do. And I've always tried to niche into maybe like branding or marketing or whatever, um, operational capacity. And now there's a niche that I've actually walked the walk. I'm not just talking shit. I've actually gone ahead and been able to retire from a micro gym through the use of commercial real estate. So I'm, uh, and this is the first time I'm super honored I get to do it on your podcast. I uh, have created and will be launching starting in January, the gym real estate company, which will be a full service nationwide commercial real estate brokerage firm for anyone. for my, We help micro gym owners lease and buy buildings. That's essentially what you do. If you want to work with a broker who understands what it's like to own a gym, who's able to do operational capacity analysis for you, who is able, I mean, I'm going to have in-house renderings. Once you sign an LOI, we will do 2D and 3D renderings of your facility, so you can have an idea what this thing's gonna look like. We're gonna do. I've got someone who's gonna be doing market analysis. You tell me exactly who the demographic is, and we'll do heat map market analysis stuff that generally is reserved for bigger companies. But because of amazing connections and people I've met over the years, I've been able to fold this in. I've been working on this for a while. But yeah, the Jim Real Estate Company will be a brokerage firm. If you want to work with a broker to help you lease a building renegotiate a lease, buy a building who actually understands the fitness industry. When I say broker, I'm talking me. I'm the only employee right now.
0: So you, so you got your broker's license.
1: It will be completed here in the next three weeks.
0: Okay. I I think this is a really cool subject. And, um, obviously you're pitching, you you want people to come to you. I I get it. But more importantly, what the reason why I'm excited about it, and I have no vested interest here, by the way, is because I think it could actually help gym owners. Meaning one of the things that we've signed, I've probably signed, uh,
1: I mean, How well many over, leases have you signed since at, you started? And since you started even Santa Cruz or Santa Clara, where, how many leases have you signed? Do you think? 20?
0: At least 20, at least. <laughs> oh okay. I mean, at least 20 leases I've signed and I have paid personally paid when well, the company, I should say, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in commissions.
1: And so wait, wait, and, wait you paid commissions as a tenant?
0: Um when we, yeah, as a tenant, um, when we, when we, when we have a broker go out there and and do a deal.
1: Yeah. So 90, so the reason, and again, just the the premise of this typically 99% of the time, all representation tenant and landlord or buyer and seller is always paid by the seller, like in a house or the landlord. Like for example, my landlord deal, like I'm the landlord, this new company is renting my building, I have to pay $188,000 in commission because I'm the landlord. I'm the one benefiting from this. Now, to what Jason's saying, I have seen and done guidance where Uh, There's an old stingy landlord and he's like, I'm not paying no broker commission. I'm not using a broker. And if this kid wants to use a broker, then he's going to have to pay for the 3% because that's how it works. It goes 3% to one agent, 3% to the other, six total. So let's say an old stingy landlord doesn't want to pay. So he doesn't even sign up a broker. You're just going to deal with that landlord. But then there you go. You go show up with a broker because you want to make sure you don't get fucked. That landlord I have seen where he's like, all right, 3%, I'm going to put the ad that in over the course of the lease. I should note that. No,
0: you're right. When I say we've paid, we've paid as part of the deal, right? Got it. That was a good that's a good clarification. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So when we buy a bit, let's just say we sign uh, Mountain View, seven-year lease, 30 grand a month. Okay. They take the total amount and they do, but the but the broker makes a hundred grand on it. So we we paid him. That's a good clarification, right? Where we are technically paying that broker or the the landlord is paying that broker a lot of commissions, right? That's a really good note to make. But you're right. They 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 put that in when you're a landlord and you're looking at the cost. You're looking at, oh, well, I'm also paying this guy's broker, my broker. And that all comes out of the same. It's all, it's just a different color of money.
1: Correct. Yeah. And it it also, what we see is it happens with the margins. Let's say, let's say you own a building and your mortgage on the building is 10,000 a month and you get some tenant and he's going to be paying 12,000 a month. Like you're not really making a ton of money. You might stick that tenant with the commission on the broker and spread it out over the 36 or five year lease, whatever it may be. But in situations like mine, because it was such a lucrative deal, we had like, honestly, I know it sounds silly, but like, I got no problem paying our broker a hundred or paying the Brokers $188,000 because it's such a lucrative deal. So I'm not going to stick that on the tenant who's already paying at a crazy high rental rate.
0: Yeah. So, um, but I, I want to get back to what I was talking about. So th- I've signed a lot of leases we have as a company. And one of the things we have used maybe a- across our footprint, we've probably used maybe six brokers along the journey. So along 13 years, we probably used six brokers. And the first broker we used, um, I actually, uh, we didn't have a broker, I, I self whatever. But then we had a member and he was in real estate and I remember how much easier it was at the time because he understood our business. After that, we just got connected to people who had better resources and different connections and we got away from the person who knew our business. And in hindsight, I wish we hadn't. And so one of the reasons why I'm so happy that you're doing this is that there is a lot to understand and signing a bad lease, it just sets you off like in quicksand, meaning you're just starting from the bottom because maybe you didn't negotiate the options well enough. Maybe you're not paying market rent or, or maybe you're paying above market rent. Maybe you didn't, uh, you know, maybe the zoning isn't appropriate, but people don't know that. And then from a, from a, um, time restraints, you know, one of the things that would just bother me is we would be sent to locations all the time that weren't zoned properly and wouldn't fit our use in terms of ceiling height and whatnot. A guy like you you're going to save these owners a lot of time because they're not going to have to worry about all that stuff you're going to be able to take all that off their
1: plate yeah and so anyone who's familiar with how commercial real estate or any real estate works is um, not every state has reciprocity so if i'm licensed in north carolina i can't just come into california and do business that's why i'm setting up a deal with there's a national firm that i'll be working with where there will be if there's a state that i technically can't do the business in myself with my license and there's what they call reciprocity i i can go and say hey listen Uh, this company. I'm going to be showing up and my client, Jason, he's looking for whatever. I'm going to fly in. I'm going to take him. We're doing a full day of showings and I'm going to be negotiating, working with him through all that. I'm doing the work. I just need you to legally ink it at the very end because you would have to legally be his broker, but I'm providing him the guidance through it. And again, tenants don't generally, again, unless your landlord tries to pull some bullshit, kind of like what sounds like has happened with yours, tenants generally don't have to pay for this. And the thing, you're right, like I signed bad leases too. And it's because the micro gym model it, first off landlords hate the idea of fitness typically especially in covid you want to be unattractive to a landlord right now tell him you're putting in fitness after 2020 it's not very good i've been working on lease negotiations with four different startups for over a year and one of them is in your is in california and he's just he finally got a lease but it's one of those things that's many people are like uh eh, fitness i don't know man i need a reliable tenant can't you fucking sell cbd Like that's, that's what they're looking for. So yeah, yeah, my, my goal is to be able to work with owners on getting better leases, but then I'm going to put out the information, which it starts on Monday. the, The new newsletter comes out, guys, if you ever want to buy a building, here's exactly how I did it. Here's kind of the money you got to put away every month in your early stages of the business. And this is how to look at your operating expenses versus what you take home. Because I do believe Jace, I really hope that more gym owners think of buying commercial real estate as double dipping. I get to put my gym in there for a period of time and still play gym. But then when I'm tired of my kids going to, you know, going into high school, I can now retire and not have to fuck around with the complications of a micro gym if I don't want. And if you choose to, I'm there's no judgment there at all. Um, So, yeah, I really hope to be able to, over time, help more people purchase and navigate them through the purchasing process as well, because that is riddled with hundreds of thousands of dollars of mistakes that are simply just come from not knowing. You don't know what you don't know.
0: Dude, I really, I I can't say this enough. I think what you're speaking, I hope owners can realize, like, this is a very important conversation. Like, it it is a really important conversation because it builds long-term trajectory and instead of putting wealth into your landlord, you're building wealth for yourself. And I think that's super important, especially for the long-term. And, and I think with your guidance on the leases, whether you're leasing or buying, you know, like for example, if you're new to the micro gym space, you wouldn't realize necessarily and maybe pay attention to sound, right? If you're next door to a, to a yoga studio, if you're next door to almost anywhere, <laughs> I mean, The, the, once you sign that lease, the sound complaints can be detrimental. And so we do sound testing before we do any lease, but it's stuff like that that only comes from experience that you could bring to the table or, you know, or I could share whatever that a traditional real estate agent just doesn't have that same background.
1: A big one, especially if you're in an industrial complex or in you're in the middle with units on the side of you, is 1st of refusal. Uh, two years ago, I was working with a guy, and I'm so glad he sent me the lease to review. And again, at that time, I'm not a broker. I'm not a real estate lawyer. I'm nothing. I'm just a guy who's done this a bunch. And he did not have 1st of refusal. Well, I'm like, whoa, 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 real quick, buddy. You're taking the middle bay. What are those two other businesses on the side? He goes, I don't know. I'll research it. So we research it. This one's only got a year left on his lease and this one's got two. I'm like, well, you're in a 2,000 square foot bay. Do you think it's possible that you might outgrow that over the course of your four-year lease and you might want the opportunity to take one of those bays next to you? That's what we call first right of refusal. You can write it into the lease. You want the first right to rent those bays if they become vacant. And that's exactly what happened. He outgrewed the space in two and a half years. He had a four-year lease. And had he not had first right of refusal on that, he would have had to find another space. Well, nope, he, that one went out of the, the other tenant left and he was able to knock down the wall and expand it over the course of a weekend. And the members were ecstatic and he never had to relocate.
0: So I got to ask you this question. I think, I think you'll have a good answer. You have a unique perspective as a gym owner, four gym owners representing them from a real estate perspective, got it. Um, but how about in a unique area, like in the Bay Area, uh, knowing different areas around here and traffic patterns and yeah. just like knowing the area because I live here versus you 100%. that you don't live there. So, so why would someone,
1: uh, On a remote, I mean, a guy who's not from there? Yeah. Tell me, tell me, what's the pitch. I was in percent. So every gym owner who's listening to this and has used a broker and, and Jace, you can comment into this, uh, you know, this sounds like you, you got a broker, but when it came time to really find your space, you exactly. did the driving around. You knew like, no, I don't want to be on that part of town. I want to be over here. And you're and like, you knew the areas and the things better than the broker. Did. I mean, the broker knows the areas, but right now in the 2021 world, I'm, no offense, guys, a local broker means dick. Just like no offense. If anyone's listening to this and you're a real estate agent, like residential, are you doing more work than Trulia and Zillow? Like, are you providing more value than Zillow where I can go in and search exactly Where all the homes are, I'm like, I don't want to live on that street. Look at my Google Earth picture of it. Fuck that. I want to live over here. All that stuff is so remote. What you need, you don't need someone who's like, Hey, I've known the owner of that convenience store since 1986, and I bet you'd give us a great deal on your lease. You don't need that guy because you can do the research and say, Hey, Stu, I want to be in these three zip codes. Find me something in these three zip codes around 3,000 square feet. I can't spend more than 5,500 a month. No triple net lease. I need a gross industrial. Done. And if it's there, I can find it as easy as the guy who's sitting on the fucking park bench next to you because it's the internet and it's, 20, and it's 2021. What that guy, though he's local, can't do, he does not have even the slightest ounce. He cannot hold a fucking candle to the experience that I have in the industry and knowing, think of this, don't think of that. This is good, this is bad. Don't let them pull that shit on you there. I've seen that before. He's not gonna have it because the last place he rented out was a subway in the corner of a plaza.
0: So this is a strategy, huh? This is a strategy. This is what you're doing. You're, 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 you're going to, you're now going to show gym owners, you did it. And now you're trying to repeat that for other owners. That's it. I
1: th- yeah. I, cause I truly think the one thing I haven't heard come out of my mouth or anyone else's mouth and I'm not going to say names, but anyone else who does what we, what I do, this is how you retire. Matt Frazier just retired and you and me talked about this on the law on the shoot to ship podcast. And we were like, it's kind of cool. Like there really hadn't been anyone who were like fully retired and didn't do anything. I mean, now he's doing businesses and you've obviously retired from the game and you went and did your gyms, but you're still, you're actively working all the time. I'm still actively working all the time. So like there, but from a gym owner perspective, I don't, I don't know many guys who are like, I retired off of the money I made from the gym because I put it in this other thing. Cause we've already stated guys, you're not going to retire off the gym alone. So what are you going to do with the money you make from the gym? Gyms can make you rich. They cannot make you wealthy. It's what you do with the money that makes you wealthy. So I believe commercial real estate is the double dip. You can use your gym for it for years and benefit and make more money. And then you can retire on it and you can leave it as legacy money. Your little girl, your daughter, your son, your wife has an opportunity if God forbid anything ever happened to you. And I think that narrative now that I've actually done it and I cannot stand, I don't talk shit. I never talk shit on anything I've never accomplished. But now that I have, I want to be like, hey, guys. other Now and, it's time to and, talk uh, shit. Yeah. Now, well, now it's time to talk shit. You're right. And it's also, <laughs> it's not crazy numbers. It really, truly isn't. You do have to be willing not just to work hard because hard work, we're all working hard. You have to work smart. You have to know what your goal is. Stu, I want to have what this in seven years. Okay. Well- The average market value of a building, the size you're talking about is this. This is probably what you need for a down payment because I know the SBA process and the closing costs and the average price, you know, in construction would be $135 a square foot and blah, 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 blah. This is what you need to start saving, homie. Let's put a plan together.
0: And if you had to give a recommendation for someone, would you say that the recommendation would be from the get-go to buy a building? Or do you think sign a two, three-year lease, get your feet wet, understand the business, and then once you have a proven model,
1: go look for a building? You mean like, uh, like if you had the cash, do I lease and yeah, test my, on my- money aside, money aside?
0: Like, let's just say you, you want to be the operator. You've never actually operated. I mean, are you actually doing yourself a disservice by buying a building if you've never operated?
1: If you had a cool million dollars sitting in the bank and you could go buy a building, no problem, uh, and you wanted to try to be a gym owner, I'd be like, sure. And then guess what? If you fail in a couple of years, like I need to get somebody else in this building, you now have that option. You can rent it out to uh to whatever the hell you want, a restaurant, a brewery, whatever. And you still now still own a cash flowing asset. Somebody asked me, I did a podcast about why I won't I uh I leased a Tesla. I refuse to buy cars. I'm like, why won't you buy a car? I'm like, can you afford it? I'm like, sure. I can afford it. I'm like because it doesn't make me any money. The only things yeah. I'm interested in buying are assets that make me money. I bought this townhouse. I'm fucking pissed about it because it doesn't make me any money. It's the one thing. It's like it's a drain. Like I hate looking at like my God, this is an investment that makes me no cash flow. But all my commercial real estate deals in the future and things that I want to do will all be cash flow based, you know, investments. And I think gym owners need could think of that. And it, I think everyone thinks it's one of these things that's so far away, guys. I am a I'm an absolute, I'm not a smart man. I'm really good at one thing in this world. And I was able to make this happen. And I didn't do crazy numbers. So I tell people, so I'm, the most my gym ever made was $500,000 gross. Now, my profit margins were solid. I was around 25, 26% profit margin. And I saved. I took money and I put it in the right places and saved it. But I'm not doing crazy. I'm not doing a million a year. I didn't have 400 members. This is, I mean, like literally, let's say you own a gym for five years, Jace, and you could sock away $20,000. A year, you take, you know, you, maybe your wife works or maybe you're single and you can live on ramen because you don't have any kids and all this other shit, like 20,000 a year over $500,000 in five years, you're already, you're already pretty much there. And do you think in five years, you might have a member who is also cash flush and you trust and be like, Hey, I've got an interesting real estate thing. And that's the one other thing I want to mention, the structuring of that deal. I know I, you know, we, we talked about it with me and Ed. That's very complicated, but that's how truly I believe most gym owners are going to have to do it. They're going to have to also find someone they trust. It's probably a member, just like so many members are integrated into our networks, but you're going to need a deal where you have a cash partner and you're a cash partner, but you're also the operating entity and you're both part of the real estate company. And that's very complicated to navigate. And if you take it to a lawyer and be like, hey, fuck Stu, I don't like him. I'm going to go to this lawyer and explain to him what I want to do. They're going to be like, yeah, I've never seen that, but sure, we can draw it up. I mean, I literally have three versions of my SOA that could go three different ways. And I'm helping you know, send it off to a guy's lawyer right now that's trying to do this with his gym. And that's going to save him probably $12,000 in lawyer fees right there. So a- again, it's all that, the experience. And I wish I could say I was super smart. But like I did this all from the beginning because I knew the gym real estate company was going to be my play. It's not. It just, right. it worked out. And I think I could t- help owners with this.
0: Dude, I think you can too. That's one of the reasons why. Ultimately, like, I don't have a problem with you talking about this because although, yes, it's going to help you and whatnot, which I think is great, I think you're legitimately going to help a ton of owners, which ultimately is what we need for our industry. I want this industry to last on for a really long time. And I want people to sit back and say, hey, I retired from the boutique fitness space, from the CrossFit space. I, I I don't know if anybody's able to say that today from a single site brick and mortar. And I think you're you're alluding to a way of doing it, which I think is great. Yeah. So
1: Jace, I will I, come on I out out as long as you uh, cook me some of that amazing meat that I always see you put on Instagram in your house and I'll put on a how to do this for every NC fit collective and gym possible out there for free. Um, we just have to have tequila and whiskey and meat at your place. That's it.
0: So the the mezcal actually is my my go-to that, lately. That's your go-to? Uh, yeah, man. Smoky. So we'll get some smoky mezcal and we'll <laughs> talk about real estate, but uh no, I mean uh, I, I'm I, This has been a really good conversation and I'm really looking forward to your pivot. And I think that more than anything, first off, you're you're showing a path for retirement, which I think is great. But in addition, you're also showing the willingness to be all in in one direction and then say, hey, when life throws you opportunities or when you're open to it, there might be other things going on and that's okay, Right. And it's not going to be easy, but I think your bar analogy was really good. Someone walks in, hey, man, I've been in the fitness space since I was 15. Or, hey, man, I was in this fitness space since I was 15. After 10 years, I pivoted here. And both of them are great stories to tell. And um, yeah, man, I, I, this has been great. Where, where, um,
1: yeah, I was listening once more. And I just want to say thank you. I'm it, it is, I does not fall blindly on me. I'm not ignorant to the fact of the audience that you have, and, and you allow me to come on here and talk about this. I'm greatly, greatly appreciative of that. Um, but if anyone is interested, just if you go to the link in my bio, you're going to see the gym Real Estate, and essentially, it's just a form and it's going to say, I just want to know what state you're in. I want to know whether you're looking to lease, buy, or maybe lease first and then buy. And essentially, between now and when I launch in 2020. Uh, 2022. I essentially just going to start having conversations to get an idea kind of what are you thinking to see if this would be a good, like if we're a good fit or how that would work out. But if you are interested at all in just getting a better lease, um, working with someone who knows that, or you do want to talk about buying a building, whatever, go there, just fill out the form so I can know what state you're in. And then ultimately uh, whether you're looking to lease or buy.
0: I love it, man. I love it. Well, dude, Stu, I really appreciate you, man. I think there's a lot of owners that are going to get a lot of value from this. And um, let's keep rising the tides and uh, hope you have a great day. Thank you, Jason.